my goodness. <laughs> who did that? I can't even tell who did that. Oh, is that Josh? Nice job, Josh. As you can tell, this is not uh, a normal setting for us here this Sunday evening. Tonight starts our Vacation Bible School, uh, which is the highlight of our kids' program in the summer. And so we're excited for that to get started tonight. would encourage you to pray for our Vacation Bible School throughout the week. It will go Monday night, Tuesday night, and it will have its big end on uh, Wednesday night. And normally we have all kinds of kids who have no connection to our church. And hopefully these are kids who have never heard about Christ before and uh, that there's opportunities for them to hear about that. So don't let this background distract you, though, tonight. Sunap told me that this is very distracting for her. She's a very visual person, and she's not sure she'll be able to pay attention. So while the sermon's going on, if you could just shoot up a quick prayer for Sue, that she can pay attention. I think she would probably appreciate that. Your bulletin is full of all kinds of announcements. This is the month that, or the week that the calendar is put there in the bulletin, so pull that thing out. Make sure you stick that on the refrigerator uh, so that you're aware of all of the different things going on. Before we know it, we're going to start talking about those things that are coming up in the fall. I saw the, all the ads in the paper today of the back-to-school stuff is already rolling out, so it's coming, and so there's things we're working on here at church as well, and all that information will be there for you to see. Let's stand together tonight as we begin, and let's sing together to our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's shout in His name. Let's praise His name.
gather together tonight in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is our strong tower, who we can run to and find safety, who we can run to and find salvation and find all that we need, for He is our all and all. Father, we have come together tonight to worship You in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and through the ministry of Your Word and also through the hearing of testimony from those who have been impacted by Your Word and those who have had opportunity to share Your precious Word. Lord, we begin now even praying for our Vacation Bible School and pray that You will use this week uniquely in the hearts and lives of all of the children that are part of that program this week. Be with teachers and helpers and all of the different workers, God. And we would pray that this would be a week in which you are honored and glorified. Father, in a unique way, be with us tonight, I pray. In Christ's precious name, amen. All right, take a moment, welcome and greet one another, and then get back to your worship zone.
now where it's safer. There's still some gang-related activity, but uh, it's safer. And so they've opened up the storefront. It's uh, definitely inner city. There's a lot of bars over a lot of windows. This is just a small storefront that he's opened up, and he does a after-school program through the year. In the summer, he, he invites youth groups to come in and run vacation Bible schools back-to-back, and we were one of the youth groups that did that. Um, the area, as I said, is, is very needy. A lot of gang violence. There's, there's just so much crime. And because of that, the kids are stuck in this environment, and they're very neglected, sometimes abused, and very hungry for attention and love. And I just want to say that our kids did a great job at showing these kids how much God loves them and how much they care, care about them. So these VBS kids just ate it up. That's a little bit of a snapshot of the week. Every day we went and did a VBS from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. We fed them lunch, which Pastor Bill said for some of these kids that was the only meal they ate for the day. Um, just a very needy area, and it was exciting to to minister with our students there. One evening we went to a ministry called The Bridge, which is for ex-cons, ex-gang members, and ex-drug addicts. That was a very uh, impactful time, and so the kids might mention that. But uh, that's kind of a little bit of a snapshot of the week. I hope that helps give you some context, and we're going to have a few of our students share about their experiences. Hi. Um, I'm just going to start out by saying that was amazing and, like, I loved it so much. I didn't want to come back home. Like, it was just incredible. Um, so, anyway, Sunday morning, I found out that I got to teach the Sunday school lesson. And um, I, I was a little nervous, but I had, um, I had my lesson for crea- on creation for the VBS, so I wasn't just winging it. But um, I had planned my lesson for, like, 15 minutes for kids that were around the age of six. Well, it turns out it was for um, 45 minutes and for kids 9 to 13. <laughs> so, um... So yeah, so Jacqueline and I, we practiced the lesson, and I was feeling pretty good about it until Pastor Bill pulled up with the kids that he had picked up. Um, there were three of them, and at first I was pretty sure that only one of them was young enough to be in my group. Um, the, the first person I saw was, um, was this guy who looked like he was 17 or 18. Um, he was huge. And then, <laughs> then there was this girl who looked like she was 16. And then finally I saw a boy who, um, who I thought could actually be in my class. Um, turns out the big guy, um, Lalo, he was 13, and um, Ariel, the girl, was 11. And I was right on the last boy, Andrew, he was 9. Um, but I was extremely nervous now. <laughs> How could I teach these kids that w- looked like they were older than me, and especially Lalo, because he was at least like twice my size, and like, <laughs> I, I was just so nervous. Um, I quickly changed my lesson quite a bit, and I was um, praying so hard that God would um, help me concentrate and that I would say the right things. Um, well, it went amazing. God was so gracious, and they listened and asked questions, and I was so thankful to have Carla and Jacqueline there. Um, Lala likes to ask the question, how do you know? And he'd say all the time, how do you know? And so for the questions that I didn't know, Jacqueline and Carla would answer for me. Um, and instead of my lesson being too short, we actually went all the way up until the beginning of the service, like we went into the morning service, <laughs> and afterwards I was thinking, why was I so worried, like God had it all in control, and I couldn't have asked for a better turnout, um, and it was just, I was just so thankful, it was amazing, um, 
So that was one of the many things I learned on staff. Um, and I encourage you, if you get the chance to go next year, that you, you really should go. It's Um, on staff, I learned so much, and we don't really, you know, we have enough time to talk about everything that we learned. But one thing that God laid on my heart that week was to be more content with what I have and just to have a thankful heart. Um, I came to realize this when we were at the bridge. One of the pastors said that the penalty for our actions is death, and for the fact that we're here awake and breathing air, that we are already better off than we deserve. And I just remember thinking, like, you know, that is so true, and who am I to think that I'm better than anyone? And I was in a room filled with ex-cons who were just fresh out of prison. And, um, yeah, so that we could just, it really humbled me. And I was really grateful for the experiences God um, led me to. On this step trip, God really taught me to show his love to others no matter their situation. Oftentimes, I'm tempted to show God's love only to my friends and those who are easy to love. But while in Chicago, I was challenged to show God's love to all people. The kids at the Harbor House were dying for attention, and some acted out, talked too much, and disrespected us just to get it. God helped me to look past all their quirks and taught me to love them unconditionally. It wasn't easy, but it was very rewarding. Not only did we show love to the kids, but to the men and women at the bridge. While we were there, it wasn't so much the behavior of those people that made them seem unlovable, but their past. Again, God taught me to reevaluate my idea of lovable people to fit his. We showed our love to the ex-cons by singing with them, serving dinner to them, and talking with them. I would like to thank all of you here at West Cannon for giving us this opportunity to serve and grow. Um, my experience that I'd like to talk about happened on Wednesday. The church had a prayer meeting, and um, so the amount of people who was there was kind of surprising. It was our group and then uh, the pastor, the pastor's wife, and two other people. And one of those people, his name was Alfred. And uh, after the um, meeting, uh, the pastor's wife came up to me and AJ and Caleb and asked us if we could help him, uh, help her take some stuff out to the van to take him to Alfred's house. And we're like, sure. And so we went back there and she gave us a fridge that was about this big a shelf and a microwave, and uh, we were like, okay, so um, we took him downstairs, we were on the fifth level of the building, and uh, while she went to get the car, we all got to talk with Alfred, and it was quite the experience, he was a very, very interesting guy, and uh, we had a lot of laughs, and kind of got to know him, and then, so then she brought the van up, and we went over to his house, and uh, it was an apartment building, and we go inside and he's like, all right, since you guys have stuff, I guess we'll take the elevator. And I was like, well, why wouldn't we take the elevator? So then we get in the elevator and he's like, all right, I'm going to push the button and I'll pray it works. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so then we get up to the floor just fine and he's like, well, that's a relief. And so then we take the stuff and we put it in his room. And his room was only about 10 feet long and it was 7 or 8 feet wide. And he had a bed and some clothes, and that was it. And uh, he was, the whole time, he was just so happy just to have that room. And he just kept thanking us and thanking us. And uh, so then we went back downstairs, and he was like, we're going to take the stairs. So and so the building wasn't the greatest place, and it was small rooms. And But the whole time, he was just so enthusiastic about it. And uh, so we get back in the van, and uh, Pastor's wife says, started telling us about the old place that he lived, and 
it was a just one big room. It was probably she said it was about as long as this stage, and it'd have a bed, and then there'd be a curtain about this tall, and then there'd be the next bed, and then a curtain, and then the next bed, and it just went across the whole room. And um, it was just a nasty place, and um, they had to have chicken wire on the ceiling so people wouldn't smash the lights, and there were drugs and alcohol and uh, a lot of scaling, I guess. And so then I was like, wow, he really does have something to be thankful for in it. Um, it was really cool to be able to encourage him, and it was kind of encouraging to us that um, he could be so thankful even under these circumstances, and that was something I found really cool. Okay. Uh, I'm going to talk about one of the lessons that was taught. I think it was on Thursday. It was about uh, the confusion in the Tower of Babel. And I remember Danny Myers was speaking, and she was the one teaching the lesson. And uh, she wanted people to speak, like, different languages that we knew. So there were, some, there were people speaking Spanish, uh, French, and I was speaking German, which I guess isn't really a major language around there. So they, the kids were kind of, they kind of were freaking out and asking me like what I was doing. It was kind of a bummer because it, it disrupted the lesson, but I don't know. It was, it was an interesting time. And then I remember it was, I just think it was really cool being able to get to know the kids and being able to show them our love and stuff and show them how much that God loves them, it was pretty cool because they don't, the kids down there, they don't get as much love as we do here. So that's unfortunate. And it was, it was a, a privilege, I guess, to be able to share with them about God and our, our lives here and stuff. On step, I have learned that God uses us when we least expect it. When I went to step two weeks ago to Chicago, I wasn't ready for the life-changing experience that God had in mind for me. I was expecting to make an impact on those kids, but not for them to leave such an imprint on my heart. On Friday, I was given the opportunity to share the story of three crosses after lunch for all the kids. One ten-year-old boy named Michael told me he wanted to talk to me afterwards. He asked if I would share my testimony with him, and so I did. He told me how last year at summer Bible time, a lady had told him about Christ and how he died for our sins and he rose again to save us. He told me he accepted Christ that year, and I asked him if he understood it more now than he did back then, and he replied that he did. He then decided that he would like to rededicate his life to Christ and to live his life for him in every way possible, to start going to church with his sister reading his Bible and praying and acting in love towards others. I was given the opportunity to pray with him during that time, and it was one of the best experiences of my life, and I will never forget it. And I'm thankful that I was given the opportunity to go on this trip. Hi. Um, I'm going to talk about Ray. Can you put the picture up of Ray? That's Ray. Um... Through the week, I got to talk to Ray more than anyone else, and um, early in the week, he talked about how he hated um, the Harbor House and how he was forced to come here, and I, was, I couldn't figure out why, because I know his life wasn't really that easy, and um, uh, he just was, he didn't want to get into the games, he was not involved at all, he kind of just 
he he wanted to sit in a chair while all the other kids sat on the ground, and he wanted to be like off on his own. And um, so I tried to hang out with him and make sure he knew he was loved. And um, one of the days early in the week, I talked to him about getting saved because I wanted to make sure um, that we brought that up. And um, he uh, told me that he. I can't remember what she told me first, but one time he told me he was a Muslim and that uh, he that's why he hated the Harbor House. And I was like, okay. And then another day he told me that he was saved because he believed in Jesus and God. And I was like, um, that's not enough to save you. Um, demons believe that. And I talked to him a little bit how, about how he needed to be willing to live for Jesus and that he had to let Jesus be his um, and be in control in his life. And um, all through the week, he still he didn't want to get into games, and he kept changing um, whether he, he was either completely against the idea of getting saved or he was kind of open to it, and it was just it was kind of draining. Um, but uh, I uh, continued to hang out with him, and I didn't want it to be the only thing we talked about. I wanted him to know that I wanted to be his friend just because I wanted to be his friend and not because I just wanted to save him. And, get that on my record in heaven. Uh, it was it was hard, the, the last day especially, or Thursday, I actually asked him if he was ready to get saved, and he was like, no, and I was like, why not? And he just, we couldn't talk about it more because we had to go. And then on Friday, I asked him in the morning um, about it, and he was like, yeah, I'm ready to get saved. And I was like, right now? And he's like, no. And I was like, come on. Come on, why? And he was, well, I didn't say that. I just was thinking that. And um, he was like, I'm tired. And I just, I couldn't understand why he didn't think it was that important. And um, I was like, that's all right. We'll just talk after lunch or something. And then uh, I was talking to him, and he said that he didn't believe in God, and he thought we were lying to him. And I was like, why Why would he drive all this way to lie to you and spend, um, and give you food and stuff like that if we we're just lying. And um, he's like, I don't know. And then uh, he was talking to Pastor Josh and Pastor Bill about how he was, he was like angry and talking about how he was in control of his life and not God. And um, it was just hard to see that because I had been trying so hard through the week and um, just trying to talk about it to him. And he just kept changing. I'd get so excited because he'd be, seem to be ready and then he'd hate God again. And I just, it was, it was I was, not having a good time the last day. Everyone was crying and sad because we were leaving, but I just didn't feel anything. I was, I felt like I hadn't slept in like weeks because it was just, I was, it was hard to see him so hardened toward what I had been talking to him about. And, um, and right before we left, like five minutes before, the, I think it was actually after the students were supposed to be gone, he came up and he was like, I changed my mind. And, um, I was like, you want to get saved? And he's like, yeah. So I was like, right now? And he said, yeah. So I was like, let's go talk about it. And um, so I took him off to the side where we um, had the teaching going on. And I got to talk to him about it. And I showed him um, Romans 5. And I can't remember what I said, but I was just searching for verses I had underlined in my Bible. And um, I also showed him some of James about how um. Uh, he had to live out what he believed, and um, Caleb came over at one point, and we talked to him about how it, I, I wanted to make sure he was ready. I kept asking him, are you ready for this? And he kept saying yes. And um, Caleb and I talked to him a little bit about how it was not going to be easy. Um, 
he and all the other older guys there have already been approached to join gangs, and um, some of them several times by different gangs. And it, um, he had already talked to me about how he wanted to join a gang because he felt it would keep him safe and protect him. And um, to us, that doesn't make sense, but in their culture, it kind of does. And um, it was just, I wasn't, I did not want that to happen to him. And um, so I continued to talk to him, and I was like, are you sure you're ready to do this? And he was like, yes. And so he was like, I was like, okay, let's pray. And um, he's like, oh, I don't know how to pray. So I told him a little bit about what to do. I was just like, just tell God what you um, need to tell him. I was like, just tell him you're ready to live for him and that um, this is something you're ready to do. And um, I was like, he's like, you pray first. So I prayed a little bit and um, talked to God about how um, I was excited that Ray was uh, willing to make this decision and that it was going to change his life forever and that he would be a child of God. And then, um, yeah, then I was like, are you ready? And he's like, no. And I'm like, no. And it was hard. And um, I was like, why? I was like, are you not comfortable talking to God yet? And he was like, no. I was like, are you not comfortable talking to God in front of me? And he was like, yeah. I was like, well, that's fine. I'll, I'll leave. And I was like, you're ready to do this, though, right? And he's like, yes. And um, as I got up, he was like, I'm not sure what to say yet either. So I talked to him a little bit more. And um, uh, he finally said he was ready, and so I walked out. And then uh, when I came back in, he was standing up, and I was like, did you do it? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, well, then you're my brother. And I gave him a hug and um, started bawling my eyes out. And um, he... Uh, uh, like we were, he was just like walking around, and I told Jacqueline that he had gotten saved. She was like, "What?" And she like went over and talked to him. And I guess they, uh, that she was like, "Why didn't you tell me?" And he was like, "I didn't think it was that important." And Jacqueline was like, "No, it really is important." And so we like he just like, "Hey everyone, I got saved!" And like shouted it out, and it was just really cool. And then I like I was crying like a whole lot because um, I God didn't, I had just never been a part of something like that, and I was so glad that God used me in that way. And um. Ray was like, dude, I, I made this guy cry. This is really cool. And um, so it was, that's Ray. This week has been really exciting, or week, week before last, was really exciting because we got to see the power of the gospel in action. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of Jesus Christ. And we saw some amazing power. In Ray's life, the first day, he did not want to be there. I don't know if his grandfather forced him to be there. His grandfather is an ex-gang member, just jacked. He's built. He's got 21s, as they say, 21-inch biceps. He's just a big guy. And I think he forced Ray to be there. He knew he, he needed it. And Pastor Bill, at the end of the first day, said, Ray, if you don't want to be here, you don't have to come back tomorrow. And the next day, Ray shows up. But you could sense the power of the gospel uh, impacting Ray's life through the week until God, God got him to the point where he was ready. It was fun to see the power of the gospel um, as I shared it with uh, a young man by the name of Jose. I think his picture's up here somewhere. That's Jose. Jose's 24 years old. He's been in jail for six years of his life. He is an ex-gang member. Normally, you cannot get out of the gang, but because his father is so high in the gang, he pulled some strings and, and made it happen for him. Jose has bullet wounds, knife wounds, scars, battle scars like you wouldn't believe. 
Um, he, he showed me on his, on his chest, on his belly, four scars. And he said when he was 15, these kids jumped him and they had a heart defibrillator. They shocked him. And he uh, basically went out, you know, was in and out of consciousness. He said he heard the kids saying some things and then shocked him again. Uh, he went to the hospital and the doctor said if he hadn't been shocked again, he would be dead. And so through that story, I just said, you know, what would have you have done if you had died? You know, what would you have said to God if you were to say, here you are at heaven's gate, why should I let you in? And, and Jose said, honestly, I'm not allowed in heaven. I, I understand that. I understand I'm not worthy of it. So I would understand if God sent me to hell. Through that experience, I was able to share with Jose the gospel. We had been focusing on Romans chapter 5, verse 12, which talks about the great love that God gives us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it was amazing to see the power of the gospel in Jose's life. Jose, I asked you to pray for him. He did not come to the point where he was ready to accept the gospel, but I think that it was the first time where he completely understood that he's not worthy of going to heaven and that Christ can make him worthy. Pray for him. Pray for Ray. Pray for the other kids. I'm a, a young father and something that I've enjoyed recently with my boys. They're both under two, which is challenging at times. Pray for my wife, please. Um, Something that I've enjoyed so much is being able to see things through my kids' eyes. This last Christmas was so cool because Jack was just old enough to understand the concept of presents and how you can unwrap them and how it's so exciting. There's a surprise in there for him and it, he gets to open it up and he was clapping and shouting and having a, a great time. And that was fun. And that same kind of experience is what I had the week before last on Step. I got to see the gospel through the eyes of people who are young believers. We got to go to the bridge. The bridge was a ministry for ex-gang members, ex-cons, ex-drug addicts. And to hear them sing the love of God was, was great. It was heartbreaking. It, was, it made you just cry. To tell they... They had been forgiven much. They were very grateful. Um, the next day, when we went to prayer meeting, Alfred was one of the members there. And Alfred is the next game member, too. He's got quite a story. He's got quite a few battle scars himself. And he's technically, he's dying from the wounds that he uh, experienced from the gang life. He's an older gentleman. I think he's in his 60s. And uh, when we were singing the songs, it was just great. You could tell by his inflection of his voice, he was ready to meet his Lord. The song that we sang, one of the songs we sang was How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And I was done. I was just, you know, all the things that we had talked about on Romans 5.12, the bridge, I was just broken. And it was so amazing to see the gospel through the eyes of people who truly understand its, its impact, its power, and truly understand the vast measure of God's love. So I just want to thank you as a body of believers for sending us, for making it possible for us to go. Um, 
our, our youth budget that our church funds help us helps us finance this trip. We use the uh, church vehicles, the church trailer. We use some church uh, kitchenware. So the prayers that you guys pray, all the things that you guys did to make this happen, I just want to say thank you so much. And be in prayer for Pastor Bill. The area that he is in is extremely needy. He needs a lot of prayer. He needs a lot of support from us as members. I ask that you would uh, keep them in mind. And I just want to thank you once more for uh, being a church who supports its youth. So thank you. Praise the Lord. What a great week for our students. Thank all of you for going. And what a great week um, for the gospel down there. That is very, very exciting. Tonight, Tom Hill is with us. Tom was with us a few months ago and uh, opened the word for us in an evening service. And Tom is here again. Tom, would you please come and share God's word with us tonight? Let's take a moment and bow our heads in prayer, shall we? Thank you, Father, for your great grace. Your unmerited favor. Your goodness that you have displayed to us. Depraved and sinful creatures as we are. Yet you have proven your love for us. Lord, I look back on my life and I think of the times when you demonstrated that love in such great indelible impressions upon my mind and heart, and I give you thanks. And others here share that same testimony, and we give you thanks for your grace. And tonight I ask you for more grace. I ask that as we have gathered together tonight in the name of Jesus, your Son, I would ask that you would give your grace to me, your messenger. You know my desire to share your word and to honor and glorify your name and that of your Son, but I cannot do that on my own or in my own strength. It's the wrong nature. Besides that, I don't have the skill. And I ask that you would give me your grace and minister your Spirit through me to this gathering tonight. And ask that you would make your presence known to us. We need you. We need you desperately. We need you far greater than we will admit. And I ask that in your grace, you would make yourself manifest to us. Open our eyes of our minds and our hearts to see you 
and unstop our ears to hear your voice. And give to us willing minds to believe and to obey. And we will give to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, honor and glory and praise for what you accomplish. For I ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen. If you have scriptures with you, I ask you to turn to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21. I'll read a few verses from chapter 21, and then I'll mention we'll drop down to chapter 22, and we'll read a few verses from there and use them as kind of the basis for our examination of God's Word tonight. Starting in Revelation 21, we start in verse number 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. By the way, I remember when my bride came down the aisle and watched her come. Oh, that was a beautiful sight. Some of you have shared that same vision, haven't you? Imagine this vision. Oh, I love my wife, but this partially passes that. The city coming down, and I beheld a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. Drop down to chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Oh, what a sight. What a sight. And night will be no more. There will, they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. A quick question, a little Bible quiz. Did you notice, as I read through those passages and you followed along with me, did you notice the similarities in that text and the Garden of Eden? Now, don't nod your head yes if you didn't. There were a number of similarities. It was a new creation. There was a river. Remember the river in the Garden of Eden branched into four separate rivers. This is the river of life flowing out from under the throne. There are trees, and specifically 
the tree of life, which God had placed in the middle of the Garden of Eden, the tree of life, of which Adam and Eve chose not to eat, which they could have, but they didn't. The tree of life, giving fruit every month. Imagine what the Garden of Eden must have looked like with all of the lush flora and the flowers and the beauty of the plants and of the creatures, all of it without sin. Beautiful in its fullest new creation. And the new creation coming down for this creation will be no more. There will be a new heaven, a new earth, and a new city on the earth. And we have man holy in the new city there will be no sin. In the garden in Eden, initially, when God created Adam and Eve, we read that he created them upright, not meaning on two feet, but righteous, upright. A number of similarities. And that is by design. That didn't just happen. For the last two chapters in the book of the Bible, in Revelation, and the first two chapters of Genesis provide for us bookends. Not just because Genesis is the first book in the Bible and Revelation is the last book in the Bible, but because of what they say, because of what they declare, their bookends. The things that we see described and presented to us in the Garden in Eden came to its conclusion and consummation in the garden that comes down out of heaven and comes to a new heaven and a new earth. Why would anyone ever reject the perfection that Adam and Eve had for them in the Garden of Eden and choose to submit to a creature instead of the Creator. And don't be so hard on Adam and Eve because we do the same thing. Yeah, we do. We yield to the creature far too often instead of to the Creator. And when they did, when they yielded to the temptation of the serpent, they became depraved in the totality of their being. Not just a little error, not just a little quirk in their minds, not just a little different, totally different. They now no longer desired to fellowship and walk with their Creator. We see that because they ran and hid when they heard His voice in the garden. Furthermore, they no longer possessed the ability 
to do good and to do right and to obey and to follow God. They lost it all. As God had told them, when they eat of that fruit, dying you will die. And they died. They lost paradise. They lost fellowship with God. They lost fellowship with each other. They're now at each other, blaming and pointing the finger at each other. It didn't happen before. God's wonderful plan that he designed when he created and spoke things into existence was interrupted. God had come down and fellowship with Adam and Eve. The garden in Eden had become his temple, his place of residence, his place of fellowship with his creation. They could know him. He could fellowship with them. He dwelt with them. Lost. God's plan interrupted. But then you know God doesn't forsake his plan, does he? He wouldn't have started it in the first place if he didn't fully intend to complete it. So God, in his great sovereign grace, chose an unlikely prospect through whom he would begin to progressively reveal his plan of redemption, bringing back those sinners who by their own willful choice chose to reject him he would now, in grace, bring them back. And he began to sovereignly reveal that plan. He chose, as you know, Abram. I say an unlikely prospect because he was an idol worshiper. He didn't know God. He worshipped the idols in the, in the place of Ur of the Chaldees. We know it in our day as that area of Iraq and Iran and Kuwait, down in that central place so much in our news today, God called Abram and said, If you will follow me, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless all of the nations of the earth through you. Abram followed. He had many descendants, as God had promised, like the sand of the sea. And we saw down in Egypt how they grew and multiplied. And the Pharaoh became fearful of them, and he suppressed them and placed them into servitude for over 400 years. And it looked as though God had forgotten his plan. God never forgets his plan. He called them out and he brought them out. It says he redeemed them with a strong arm and he pulled them out and he brought them to himself. And at Mount Sinai, he reaffirmed and confirmed with these descendants of Abram the covenant that he had made hundreds of years previously with Abram. 
And as he renewed that covenant with them, one of the things that he placed in that covenant as he talked with them, he said, I am going to have you make a tabernacle. And that tabernacle will permit me to come down and dwell with you. And I will come again and I will make my dwelling with you. And you will know me and I will know you and I will be your God and you will be my people. Garden of Eden, temple, place of residence of God, fellowshipping with his people. Now beginning to be revealed again, he comes and he has them build the tabernacle. And there's a special spot in that tabernacle where he would come and dwell. And they would know him and it would become the center of their very lives. And they would know his fellowship. He would dwell with them. As time wore on, over several hundred years, God dwelled in the tabernacle. Solomon built a temple, a place more permanent than the tent, tabernacle. And we read in Second Chronicles chapter 5 how at the conclusion of the construction, God came down just like he had in the tabernacle and he made his dwelling with them in the temple. Several hundred years more passed. The children of Israel have ebbs and flows in their relationship with God, obeying, disobeying, following, not following, obeying, rejecting, until finally, God said, that's it. And he withdrew. You can read about that in Ezekiel chapters 8 through 11. How God gave to Ezekiel the vision of the departure of God's glory from the temple. Four hundred years passed. No vision, no prophet, no presence, no dwelling of God in the tabernacle, in the temple. Then Jesus came. It's described in this fashion, in the fullness of time. God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem them who were under the law. God's grace, God's abundant mercy and love for sinners like you and like me. For in the person of Jesus Christ, he brought together all of his plan that he started in the Garden in Eden and progressively revealed through the prophets and the writers in the Old Testament, and we can read and we can follow that storyline all the way through the Old Testament until we come to Christ. And Christ in his person provided that which 
sinners like you and I need? Atonement for our sin. Reconciliation to a holy God. We typically think of reconciliation where you give a little and I give a little and we'll just kind of meet kind of halfway and we'll kind of mishmash and we kind of get together and we shake hands and we've reconciled. That's not the reconciliation of, with God. God never moved. God didn't move and come halfway and meet us and we come halfway and meet Him. No, God stayed. He brought. He reconciled us to Himself. In Christ. And we find that He recreated for us that which Adam and Eve never really had, although created in the image of God, they were nothing like Jesus Christ, the very God in man. The very fullness of God. The brightness of His image. The fullness of his glory. In man, no longer in a building, in man, a new temple. We read in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten Son of God, full of grace and truth. When it says he came and dwelt among us, it literally means he tempted. He tabernacled. He came and dwelt with us. God taking human flesh, tabernacling, tempting in human flesh. We have a new creation we have a new temple. Prior to his resurrection and ascension to the glories, he made a promise. And you can read about it in John chapters 14, 15, and 16, where he promised another comforter. I'm going to depart, he said. And where I go, you cannot come at this time, but I will send another... I will not leave you as orphans. I will send another comforter who will come, and he will be with you and will be in you. And you will love God and you will obey his commandments, and we will come and make our abode with you. And since then, we've spent the centuries trying to explain that. How do you explain? First of all, God coming to dwell in the person of Christ, and then coming to dwell within believers like you and me. But that's what he said. I will come and dwell in you. Through the Spirit of God, I will come and I will if you will, tabernacle in you. 
We are the new creation. We have now become temples and tabernacles. We read about that. How we are to live holy, separate lives. Why? Because don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost? And that temple is not only us as individuals, but it's this. Oh, not this. The building. We have a temptation to sanctify the building, and buildings are good, and they're necessary, and they're helpful. But that's not the temple. The temple is the gathering together of Christ followers. People who have committed their lives to Christ and trust Him. And when we come together and gather, and I, we're new here, and so I don't know all of you, but I know there are some of you here who are Christ followers. And perhaps many of you here, maybe all of you, I don't know. But as many of us are Christ followers, we are here and we are a temple. The place of the dwelling place of God among men on the earth. Just a couple of things I want to mention about God's presence. The Puritans used to call it I'm going to stand on this. By that they meant they're going to take a little bit of time and talk about it. I'm going to stand on this for a moment because I want you to see something. When God came down to the tabernacle, when he came down to the temple, and when Christ came down as the Son of God in human flesh, and when the Spirit of God descended upon those believers on the day of Pentecost, something happened. You can read about it in Exodus chapter 40, and you can read about it in Second Chronicles chapters 5, 6, and 7. You can read about it in Acts chapter 2, and again in Acts chapter 5, and repeated through some of the letters that Paul wrote to the churches that he started When he came down to the tabernacle, although Moses and the prophets had just gone into the tabernacle to fulfill the washings and the cleansing of them to prepare them for their job, when they came out, it says that God came down upon the tabernacle and they could not go back in. And the same thing happened when God descended on the temple. They went in for the cleansing and they came out and God's presence and glory so filled that tabernacle that they could not go back in. And when we read about the church in Acts, we read the very same kind of thing happening after Peter's dealings with Ananias and Sapphira. You can read there, it says, A great fear fell on all men, and no man durst join themselves to them. They were afraid to join because of the display of God's presence and power and might that they observed. 
we have become too familiar with God. We pat him on the back like he's our buddy, our pal, our best friend, and, and we gladly shake his hand as though we are somehow equals with him. And my friends, we have lost the wonder and the awe of who God is. And he wants to make himself known in his temple. Not just this temple, but this temple. The gathering of his people. And as we look back over those occasions when God displayed himself, not just in recorded scripture, but also in recorded church history, we find that there were times when God's presence was conspicuous. Couldn't miss it. It was also conscious. They knew it. it wasn't a mistake. It wasn't some aura. Oh no, that was the glory of God that they observed. And the world observed it. And as a consequence and as a result and effect of God's presence among them, Oh, there was mighty conviction of sin. Dare I ask you, when was the last time you were convicted of sin? I mean convicted of sin. I mean where it just absolutely gripped your soul and your mind and your heart and you could not get rid of the overwhelming spirit convicting you of sin. When was the last time? That's what happened when God's glory came down. Conviction of sin. And then there were conversions out of the church in Acts as we read about it. They observed God's presence and His glory and they were convicted of their sin and were converted. We have this tendency to think that because there are some records of small groups being saved, and in no way do I diminish that. After all, Jesus gave probably his most famous sermon, John chapter 3, to how many people? One man at midnight who came cowering in fear. So I don't diminish that. But yet if you read back through Acts and read through it with little different eyes, you see that there were people converted by the thousands. Thousands of them. I was confessing to Josh earlier. We met. First time I've had a chance to meet him. We've attended here now maybe a year and a half or so, maybe two years. Boy, time flies. Haven't had a chance to meet him. I forgot what I was going to say, Josh. You took my mind. One of my great concerns for this church and for the Church of Jesus Christ, 
is the reason I'd be complacent. Complacency in my judgment, in one man's opinion, is the sin of the church today. We're complacent. Life's too easy. Life's too good. We haven't had to suffer. And we become complacent. I don't know where you fall on the spectrum. I'm not quite sure yet where West Cannon falls in that spectrum. But my friends, we desperately need the overwhelming presence of God among us, His temple on earth. We need that. And I will tell you, it won't come easy. Oh, not that God is unwilling, but are we really desirous? Do we really want His presence? And I fear that all too often our answer is, no thank you. I like it just like it is. Well, that's the church. That's the presence of God. His glory came down. And the scriptures that we read in Revelation show us our future, what lies ahead for us, those of us who have trusted Christ. That's our future. That lies ahead for us. Why would God move upon Moses, the prophet, John, the apostle, to write these things in his word for those people, for the children of Israel and for those first century believers? Why would he do that? He wanted them to know that he had a plan and what that plan was. He also wanted them to see that he had fulfilled that plan as he had promised in the person of Jesus Christ. And that through Christ he would restore us back again and fulfill his plan that he had designed. And those truths that had effects upon those people who first received it have significance for us today as well, don't they? They can encourage us. They can strengthen us. They can edify us. They can cause us to examine ourselves. They can cause us to examine ourselves, first of all, am I in the faith? I have made it up a plan and purpose of mine to never speak to a group of people under the assumption that everyone there is a believer. I don't know your heart. I can't see that. But are you in the faith? 
Have you come to a time in your life when you have recognized your sinfulness, your inability to please God and to satisfy Him, and that you are at odds, an enemy of His, and He is an enemy of yours? And have you repented and turned from your sin to trust Christ, the only provision in God's wonderful, sovereign, gracious provision for sinners like you and like me? And in casting your faith and trust and confidence upon Him and Him alone, come to understand and realize what it is to have God take up His residence within you? I call upon you tonight, if that describes you, Jesus made it simple. He just said, repent and believe. I call upon you to repent and believe. You might be here tonight and a follower of Christ. I call upon you to fulfill the responsibilities that God has given to us as his children. He said you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And we are to take the temple, God's presence, throughout all of the earth, because that's his plan. That's his purpose. That's his design. That at that great consummation day, we can join hands with people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation, who will join together in that great wondrous chorus of giving honor and glory and praise to the Lamb who is worthy. I pray the Spirit of God will move in your heart tonight. And bring about in you saving faith, obedient faith. Let's close in prayer. Father, I am humbled again to realize your great grace. And Father, I pray for those of us here tonight who have gathered here together. I'm trusting you, Father, that in faithfulness to your promise, you will minister to our hearts. Turn our minds. Give to us faith to believe and to trust. and to take part in your grand plan of redemption. And for what you do, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we will give you thanks, honor, glory, and praise. For, Father, I ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen.